I enjoy getting rocked by the Holy Spirit. I enjoy just kind of sitting there in His presence and, you know, just hearing, hearing what He's speaking to, to everyone because it, it's so edifying to the Spirit to just sit in an environment like that. I just, I'm just kind of in that place right now. I was, I was really thankful, I think, at the start of the service, and now I'm just kind of sitting in that presence of just really appreciating the, the different, you know, just the different aspects of what's reflected in that. So I'm just so grateful for that. So um, can, can we just pray one more time? Father, we just, as we enter a time hopefully not to leave your presence, Jesus. But Lord, I pray that we could stay in your presence. Lord, I thank you that, that you are all sufficient. Lord, I thank you that we can, we can come to you and regardless of how deep the waves are, your grace is just as deep as those waves. Father, I thank you that every single need that we've ever had, you knew before we had the need. Lord, I thank you that the solution is found in you. Father, I pray that we will not move away from making you the main thing, Jesus, that we find our identity in you, Father God, that when we find her, I love the line in the song, for I am yours and you are mine. Lord, we just declare that, that we are yours, Jesus, but that when we're yours, we also get to, to have you as well. Lord, we just bless your mighty name. I pray that your life would continue to flow, that your presence would continue to, to just sit with us. And I, I just thank you so much for who you are because you're, you're such a good God and you do work all things together for the good, for those that love him. And Jesus, we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. We bless your mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So we've been talking about identity. We've been in the series of, you know, who am I, looking at our, our, our personal identity. We're now moving, we've been moving into who are we, which is not a very big shift. It's just what defines us. And last week we talked about finding ourselves in Jesus. I don't think it's necessarily a revelation, but how easy is it for our focus to get on this little one thing over here, and we can just get stuck into that and miss the totality of who he is, miss the importance of um, making him the main thing. What did, what did um, Jesus say to, to Martha and Mary? That Mary has chosen the one necessary thing. There's a lot of things that we do. There's a lot of things that we fill our time up with, but there's one necessary thing, and that's to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Amen. And I'm so edified by sitting at the feet of Jesus this morning with you all. We're talking about finding his life. I love that we're finding his life and just sitting there and experiencing his life. I think it's, it's a much better illustrated sermon when we tap into that life. Amen. And we talked about the fact that, and it was coming out even in our time right now, that there is rest and there is peace when you find yourself in him. What did you say? Martha, Martha, you're troubled and anxious about many things. Worry and anxiousness and all those things are actually found when sometimes we can lose sight of who we're based in. Is that even though we're in deepest waters, keep your eyes above the waves. It doesn't remove you from the waters. It actually is where you're looking that changes the circumstances that you're in. And I would hope that as our focus goes on him and not in the waves around us, not even the boat that we're in, it just goes on him, that that's where the faith can arise. So I just want to encourage you in all of that. And then as, as we, we were again looking at the life of Jesus, that the mission of Jesus is that he wants to restore things that are broken, and that's on his heart. And this morning we want to continue on talking about who are we, but I don't think we could go much further of talking about who are we if we don't look at discipleship and what discipleship is. And we're not going to talk about what a disciple is today. We're gonna, we've already talked about that, you know, I think in, in spades, if you will. But I want to go a little bit different and look at possibly what the motivation for us being a disciple is. Um, but we've been looking at 
I just wanted to tie the, tie the dots together of our series that we did on the fruit of the Spirit. We didn't just do a series on the fruit of the Spirit because we think it's a really nice series and it's in the Bible, which is a great reason to do something, but also because of the relationship between fruit and what a disciple is. So it says, and I just want to read out in John, if you could throw up the slide there for me. It's John fifteen five, and we've read it many times, but I just wanted to bring it to our attention very briefly. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. When we find our identity in him is when we can start bearing those good things that we've been talking about. It's not finding our identity outside of him. And I love what it says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. When we're outside of him, we really can't do anything. And then it goes on in verse 8 to say this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And I just want to paint the picture that our journey together is always looking at how can we further as disciples of Jesus. And I hopefully want to redefine discipleship for you this morning, maybe a way that you haven't thought about it before. But obviously this is pretty important to Jesus. What does he say? Go and make disciples. You know, we've talked about, what is a disciple? Do you remember? It's a student a learner, and a follower. So go and make disciples of Jesus. Um, It doesn't say go and make Christians, because Christians, the definition is what? A follower. But a disciple is two steps further. It's a student and a learner. And so hopefully we can open that up. And I want to encourage you that we're not going to say, we're not going to increase your Bible reading time from two hours in the morning to three hours this morning. And we're not going to increase your prayer time um, from from six hours at night, you know, throughout the night to seven hours. Um, Well, those things are phenomenal things. And I wouldn't discourage any of you from doing that. But that's not the heart of where we're going this morning. Um, But I wanted to start with a story because I think stories are so helpful. And also, I get to talk about one of my favorite things this morning. Um, This is probably, I was was pretty excited about coming because, A, the presence of Jesus and meeting together with a body of believers, but I get to talk about one of my favorite things. And so that's just, that gets me excited. So most of you know that, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit picky with food, but not like overly picky, but I just, I enjoy my food and I don't want it to be spoiled with different things. But I'm a steak and potatoes kind of guy. I really, like steak and potatoes, I'd be happy. I mean, I, I really would be happy. Vegetables are neither here nor there for me. But I'm a steak and potatoes kind of guy. And my favorite restaurant is a restaurant, and so I, I come from Tucson, Arizona. It's in the middle of the Wild West, right? I mean, this is like the gunfights happen there. Tombstone is about an hour's drive Who's seen the movie Tombstone? It's a very, very good movie. Bruce Billington's favorite. It's a shoot-em-up cowboy movie that's a true story. We're in the middle of the Wild West, and so they've preserved a lot of the Wild West culture as much as they possibly can. And so this restaurant, it's called Pinnacle Peak. And Pinnacle Peak has, it's, it's not just a restaurant. It's more like a venue. People will rent out this place for weddings. People will um, have, have a ball, you know, like, not, yeah, the ball, that's what we call it here. Prom is what it's called in the States. They'll have their balls there. It's just this huge thing. And this is a picture of there. And I'm going to explain this picture in a little bit because um, there's cut off ties on the wall. But Pinnacle Peak, they're a steak, they're a steak restaurant. But it's the kind of steak that they make. Do you all know what a mesquite tree is? So a mesquite tree is found in Tucson, and uh, it has this really smoky flavor when you burn the wood. It's a very sweet-smelling w- wood, and, and so these are mesquite-grilled. They're world-famous mesquite-grilled cowboy steaks. They're, I mean, they're to die for. You go in the restaurant, you have really thick slices of bread. You guys are going to be really hungry by the end of this. 
there's thick slices of bread. This is actually a plug for, for Dave and Carrie and for the cafe to get you guys expectant and ready to go and get that food that they have on offer. Amen, Dave? There we go. He's going to go get those steaks fired up right now. I hope we can ship them from Pinnacle Peak. Uh, they have these thick slices of bread, which really creamy butter. Um, and then as soon as you're enjoying the bread, and I usually, I force myself not to eat too much bread because I know there's such a good meal coming, but usually I can't help it. And then you get a salad, and this is proof that I do eat vegetables. I really like their salad, but I usually take the things that I don't like out of it, like the tomatoes and all those, you know, the things that aren't very good for you. Um, you know, I'll take those things out. And then what I love about the salad is the ranch dressing. I don't, we, we don't, ranch dressing probably is not big here, I don't think, right? This ranch dressing would convert all of you right here and right now if you just had a little bit. You'd be sold out to ranch dressing. Regardless, that's not, that's not what I'm after is the ranch dressing. And then while you're, you're sitting there and, um, and you've got cowboys that are dressed up in their full thing, it's such a big place that there's even like outside, there's a whole theater um, an outdoor theater where these cowboys will do plays and they'll shoot them up and they'll flip off the building. And so after your meal, there's shows going the whole time. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty good event to go to. You can go and there's, it's just the whole package, right? And then um, these cowboys will come in the restaurant and they'll start playing pranks on the kids and try and keep them entertained. And then, then you'll start hearing a cowbell just start ringing. It's, you know, you know, you're just, a cowbell's ringing really, really loud. And, uh, and there'll be a big group of them and they'll wander over to to a, a certain table, and, they're gonna, and they'll tell the table, they say, I've got, you know, there's an issue. And they'll tell everybody around, they say, we have one rule in Pinnacle Peak. And that one rule is, what do you think it is? No ties. Because this is a cowboy place. We don't want no highfalutin, uh, I don't know what other words you would describe, but somebody that, you know, it's too fancy for them. But the thing is, um, I don't want to you know, I won't publicly shame him, but we've had some people that have come from New Zealand that have come and visited my brother or myself, and we'll tell them, Pinnacle Peak is a nice place. You've got to wear a tie. Um, and so you, you've got to wear a tie, and, and none of us would wear ties. You know, we get there, and they kind of look at us, and we're dressed down. And, and I, think, um, one of, I think one of my brother's friends, he came in like a suit. He had like his, you know, his, the suit jacket and the tie and everything. And, um, and they come around, and, and they'll, they'll come around with the scissors, and they're going to cut off your tie. And, and most people have taken it in good nature. Um, I think the one that I'm thinking of, and my brother can correct me, he was pretty surprised, I think, and, and didn't really understand. Like, he didn't get it. He, he was really confused, even when they were sitting there cutting his tie. Um, and to make that one even better, because th- my brother's a little bit of a troublemaker, he told, because obviously the guy didn't have a tie. He was going on vacation in the States. And um, he told him, he's like, this is a pretty valuable tie for my, you know, this is like a pretty important tie that's my dad's tie. Just be careful with it. Um, and they went over and cut it, and you should have seen his face. But, and, then, and this is a side note, and I'm sorry, but my brother is that much of a troublemaker that sometimes, you know, he'll wear a tie himself to the restaurant. They'll cut it, and he'll have another tie in his pocket that he'll bring up and just tie it as, they, as they're walking away. But they didn't come back and cut the second tie. But regardless, that's not even the best part. The best part is the steaks. So they have three major steaks. Now, I'm not talking about the filet mignon because that one doesn't count. Angie always gets that one, but I just, I, yeah. you don't go to P- Pinnacle Peak to get a filet mignon. You go to Pinnacle Peak, you've got three choices. You've got the cowgirl, you've got the cowboy, and you've got the big cowboy. And what does that really mean? You've only got one choice. It's the big cowboy, Right. It is mesquite grilled steak to perfection. And you guys are so hungry right now. You're hating me that we're in church. But it is just like this. It's, oh, I could go right now. 
I I mean, literally, it's my favorite place to go to. It's my favorite place to talk about in regards to a restaurant. I like it so much that if I had a birthday, we would go there. If Angie and I had an anniversary, I would, you know, buy her something big enough so that I could go to Pinnacle Peak. Um, Any excuse that I could go, I would go and celebrate the fact that it was Wednesday and go to Pinnacle Peak if I could. I mean, it's literally one of those things that I enjoyed so much. But in the same way, when we experience something that is so good, you're going to go back for seconds. You want more of it. You want to find out how can I have more of it and how often can I have more of it. I, I literally, I would celebrate my birthday, but I would also celebrate somebody else's birthday, even if I didn't know them. I would head on over to Pinnacle Peak. Somebody's celebrating something today. When we experience life, when you tap into the life of God, you can't help but to go back for more, to go back for seconds, to get as much of it as you possibly can. Any excuse for you to get more of it, any excuse for you to get uh, another helping of his life will do. If it's your birthday or somebody else's birthday, right? You'll go back. And this morning, I want to encourage you that the journey of discipleship should be like seeking after those mesquite grilled, grilled steaks. And that if we make it something that is a duty, I couldn't imagine it being a duty to go to Pinnacle Peak. I would hate that if somebody ruined my experience for me. And that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at this morning. So I, I, I hope you're encouraged that we're, we're going to look after the life of God. And that's one of the things why even when um, we were here this morning just in that space, I could tangibly feel, and one of the points that I was wanting to talk about is literally just stopping long enough to spend time with him to let his life permeate through you. It's not the tasks that we do that bring his life. And so that's one of the things, and and forgive me if I repeat myself this morning, but it's on my heart to encourage you that reading the word, praying and worship are all phenomenal things. But if you just learn how to do the actions of those things without his life, they're not going to bear any fruit. We want to be after his life and the love that is in his life. I get passionate about that. This brings me to the first major point. Discipleship is birthed through experiencing the life and the love of God. Discipleship is birthed through experiencing the life and the love of God. And I don't know about you, and, and some of you are probably a lot more spiritual than I am and are able to, to spend the time, and the, you're devoted, and you can read the Bible for really long periods of time, which I love reading the Bible. But I've struggled at times and seasons of my life to engage and find the life of God in those kinds of things. When you're reading the Word and you're like, you know, I, I don't know, when you get to Leviticus and you're just wrestling through your Bible in a year, and, and you're... You can't find the time as, as a young dad or, or whatever the case might be if you're struggling with connecting in the things that we would call discipleship. So what do we call discipleship? Is it reading the word? Is it maybe listening to the word if we're not big fans of reading? Is it worshiping? Is it, you know, whatever it is. I hopefully want to expand our definition of what that is this morning. We constantly need to be looking at our motivation for what causes us to be a disciple. I taught middle school uh, English for, I don't know, six months or so. There was a a lady on maternity leave that I took over for a classroom, and I was in between uh, moving from uh, the States to New Zealand, and this was in 2009. And and the motivation for those students wasn't at an all-time high for wanting to learn the things that we had to teach them in English. We had some books to go through and syntax and grammar to look at, 
And for some reason, they weren't like humming with excitement. You know, they called me Mr. Jesse because Mr. Northway was too formal, you know. They called me Mr. Jesse. Mr. Jesse, they, they didn't come in and say, Mr. Jesse, I am so excited to learn about, you know, colloquialism this morning. Let's get into it. What were they excited about? Where was their motivation for being in school? Well, it was probably social status was quite a big thing, right? It's, you know, uh, there's a girl that I like over there, and that's probably where my focus is. Or the opposite, there's a guy that I like. Or, you know, I don't like that guy over there. I want to, you know, whatever it is. Or some people want to be avoiding the attention. The motivation for most of them coming into that learning environment wasn't actually to learn. It was, it was quite different. And that's one of the things I hope that we can just look internally and say, where's my motivation? Have I lost some of the life of Jesus? Or has that become, has my motivation become to get through the religious exercises? Or is my motivation that I'm always tapping into his life? So the religious exercises might change at different times and there might be more emphasis. And it might not be that you need to sit down and read your word, but it might be that you need to sit down and worship for a couple hours and tap into his life. And I don't want to paint what that needs to look like for you. Now, when Jesus gets a hold of you, the word of God is his very breath. It's breathed out by him, so you're going to want more of that. When you get a hold of the life of God, you're going to want to pray more, which is dialogue with him. And, and I probably change the way that we pray sometimes of just saying, can you spend some quality time with Jesus? And the way that we worship changes. But I don't think that those things, worship, prayer, and reading our word, can be the things that save us. It has to be his life. And connecting into that life of Jesus. And his life is found in all of those things. But if we reduce those things to being his life, then I I suggest that sometimes our faith might run dry if we're not connecting to the person himself. I just want to read John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And he will come to him. And make our home with him. We learn about him through a basis of love. And so when our actions transcend it being done in love and relationship. And I, she'll probably be very embarrassed. But I just want to brag on Erica really quick. That um, we, we were just over at Erica's house very recently. Bruce McKevitt and I. And, uh, and we, we walked over to the Polson's house to have a wonderful pikelets in the morning. And uh, it was a wonderful time. And you know I, I'm so blessed by even spending time with those folks. But it started raining, and so Erica got in her car and brought us an umbrella because we'd left our car over there. And just how, how thoughtful and how loving. I think sometimes we, we don't see Jesus as the person that's bringing us the umbrella. We leave him at home, and then we go and do our, um, uh, we read the Bible, and that's, that's where it is. And we're wondering why we haven't experienced life. But I want to suggest, can we connect to the person? So there's a person, Erica, that did that loving act, that there's a person of Jesus that's wanting to do loving acts and connecting with you. And I want to encourage us this morning, even as we were saying last week, making the main thing the main thing, that when we talk about discipleship and our identities of disciples and learning more about him, following him more, doing everything we can, if it's, if it's birthed through the acts that we do, then we're going to lose his life. When we experience his life and love, there should be an overwhelming sense of wanting more of him, of wanting to know more, wanting to serve him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And one of the challenges with that is I think sometimes we love him with a lot of our heart, some of our mind, some of our soul. But it it can seem so difficult to try and grow in that, and especially when we get stuck into the actions of the things that we have, if we don't look past it to the life of God. 
And I want to reclaim the word disciple this morning if I can. And even as we're talking about it, and it's already coming out, but we need to tap into the life of Jesus and let that be the motivator for why we're growing. If we don't have, and I'm going to talk about this later, but what makes you absolutely come alive? What sets your heart on fire where you can't contain what's going on inside and you want to jump into that with everything that you have? Now, if we can't find that, then I'm going to say that we're going to struggle being disciples. Because discipleship, and I'm going to go into it later, I'm giving away all the good stuff, is connecting to the heart of God. And then when you connect to the heart of God, he's going to tell you who you are. And who you are is not as much about being a good person because we're all called to do that. We're all called to righteousness. But it's what did he create you for? What did he create you to do? But before we get there, because I I get so excited about that stuff, is how do you tap into the life of Jesus? How do you get more life? And, And we're talked about these things. Reading the word gives more life. Worship gives more life. Prayer gives more life. Those things absolutely give life. But if we're stuck into those actions and, and we're not experiencing his life and love in those, and those things that we do to connect with him, I want to suggest we look at our motivation for where are we at in regards to that, that um, connection with God. So there's two things that I just want to suggest, and these are just very brief and we're going to move on. My first question is if we're looking at how do you get more life of God would be how do you get more life with the person sitting next to you? How do you engage with the person sitting next to you and get more out of them? And how do you do it with your kids? How do you do it with your wife? And my suggestion is, why would God be any different? So what do you do with the person that's sitting next to you or the person, you know, your spouse or your kids? How do you engage or how do you get more life out of that person? Because I've had coffees or dinners with my wife or with, you know, friends where it's been kind of like, you know, flat, and there hasn't been a lot of life in there. Um, But then I've had coffees and dinners where I've gotten tons of life from that person. And what I want to suggest this morning is one of the ways to tap into the life of God is to take time, to spend time with him like you would anyone else, but to start trying to see, God, what is on your heart? What makes you tick? What makes you excited? And let's start sharing some of those things with him. Start sharing some of the things that actually make you come alive with him and spending time. I think sometimes we think God is in this box, and I'm not suggesting that's where we are. I think this is more a Western Christianity thing that can be that God is in this box of boring over here and that when we put on our God hats and we pray, we need to pray for um, things that don't set us afire. We want to connect with him like he's a distant God that doesn't really care about the things that make us tick and the things that make us passionate. And we almost have to put ourselves down to go pick, pick who he is up. And I want to suggest that the journey of discipleship is one of the most exciting things that you could possibly ever jump into as you find out who you were created to be and what you were created to do. And it's the things that absolutely light you on fire that I think that we should be jumping into in regards to the journey of discipleship. Discipleship isn't a duty. It should be a journey to obtain more of his life. And then the second thing I was just going to talk about really quickly, if we spend time with him, you know, in that one-on-one setting, spend time with him in the group setting. You know when you go and do the things that just make you come alive, that excite you? I think we tend to leave God at home for that, and we come back and we're like, oh, I need to say my prayers before I go to bed. Why don't you take God with you? into those exciting things, and let him speak into you because he's the person that birthed that in you in the first place. So when you're doing whatever it is that actually starts to make your heart tick, that's where God is even, not more so than at home, but he's just there as much as he is. We've relegated God to a boring 
kind of thing at times, I think, when he's actually in the midst of the things that really tap your heartstrings, that really start to pull out the deep wells of who you are. Again, discipleship can't be a duty. It has to be a journey to find more of his life and his love. And knowing that the more we engage with him on his will for our lives, the more we can experience truly what that life and love is. Amen? Okay, second point. Disciples train to be effective expressors of the kingdom. And that's probably going to elicit a lot of imagery of just saying, oh my gosh, here we go again. We're going to hear some of the same things that we've always heard. And I'm not saying in general, I just think across the church world that we've heard the, we've heard the words of how important it is to be a disciple. And yet I would say for me, I've struggled quite a lot with what a boring thing to do to sit in a room to learn more about God Some of us have gripped and gotten a hold of that. As you find out more about God, he speaks more of who we are and we can walk further in that. But I want to hopefully break, as we're talking breakthrough today, can we break through the monotony of what some of these things could be and try and find the life of God in the journey of discipleship and what it is to be a disciple? Um, 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love that verse. We need to train to be effective expressors of the kingdom. If I could, I want to keep elaborating on the definition of what it is to be a disciple. Can't be somebody that reads the word, prays, and worships only. When we talk about a disciple, those are fundamental things of what every disciple is and should do. They're powerful things. There's so much life in all of those things. But I think the fourth element, and I'm sure there's more elements, but just the focus this morning is, can can I seriously ask you this question this morning? How would you answer me if I was to say, what were you created to do? Who were you created to be? Take, literally take, take, 10 seconds to think, how would you answer that question? Who were you created to be? What were you created to do? It can't be just to be a good person. We're not trying to get to the top of a moral pyramid and say that I'm kinder than everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm gooder than everybody else. Um, I've, I'm more joyful than everybody else. Because I think we're all called to exhibiting the fruits of what a disciple is. But I want to suggest to you that being a disciple is locking into who you were created to be, finding the essence of who you were. And the more that we find ourselves in Christ, the more we find ourselves who we were created to be and what we were created to do. When things are created, so I think about a guitar. You know, a guitar is, John Pringle, he makes guitars. I don't know if he's here this morning, but there's, there's folks that, that create a guitar. And when you make a guitar, or you make anything for that matter, it's created with a really specific purpose. It's going to play beautiful music. And, you know, with a guitar, you can play, um, you can finger pick, you can strum, you can even bang on the thing to create a uh, percussive instrument. You can make beautiful music out of it. In the same way a piano is created, and it's very different, um, but it can 
even play some of the same music that a guitar can, but it plays different melodies, and it's beautiful. But they're created with a very specific purpose. And this, a, a fridge, a microwave, think of anything that's made and how specific it was made to do something and to be very, very unique, very, very specific. Now, there's some vacuum cleaners that you could buy for 50 bucks that aren't going to work as good as a $1,000 vacuum. But that's not the point that I'm going into, is that there's things that are made very specifically um, to do. Now, how much more purpose, and I'm not talking about um, a grandiose call on our life that we say, you know, God, you are going to literally change the, the, the free world with my life. That sometimes, you know, the romanticism of the idea can grip us more than the reality of the, who the life of who Jesus is. And that's enough. But how much more would there be purpose and a unique, specific thing that God created you to do and to be if we bring out a Jeremiah 1.5, which I love, when he knew us before we were in the room. So Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I love that word consecrated. You were made by God himself. You were actually consecrated him by him. You were set apart to do something so specific and unique that only really truly you can do. And again, we can relegate discipleship to as a thing where we just learn about God and we don't let it permeate our being and let him speak back into us who we are and who you were created to be. And so one of the byproducts of discipleship is actually learning a whole lot about who you are. It's not a distant thing just finding out about a God and a lot of rules that he has and a lot of things of where we just need to be good people. What did God create you to do outside of being good? Is it to seek justice on behalf of the oppressed? Is it to be a teacher? Is it to be a father to the fatherless or a mother to the motherless? Is it a warrior that will break down strongholds? Is it a herald as the, to the good news of Jesus? Is it a counselor to the broken? What makes your heart beat faster? What makes you come alive? What things do you get excited about? You can tell what I get excited about. What things act, permeate the core of your being that make your heart start to sing? And I would suggest when you find that thing, you've found what being a disciple is about. When we say disciples train to be effective expressors of the kingdom, I don't want us to learn a bunch of rules we're never going to learn. I want you to find out the thing that God created you to do, train in it so that you can be effective in what he's called you to do, and not forsaking the other things. His life is the word. It's the very bread that we can eat. The prayer is just dialogue with him. Worship is adoring our Savior. But can we also expand the definition of disciple to start walking into the fabric of who he created you to be? And, and, and that taps into the thing that you get so excited about. We need to train. And if you remember the word student, um, the, a disciple is a student, a learner, and a follower. The, the word student means, it comes from the word studium, which means painstakingly apply yourself to something. Sometimes... We painstakingly apply ourselves to becoming a good person, which I think is very admirable. But can we take it a step further and painstakingly apply ourselves to find the thing that God created for us to do and to be doing and then apply ourselves to that? I love Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Every single thing that we do is part of our canvas of being a disciple where we get to exercise the goodness of who God is but also we get to exercise what he's created for us to do 
And I hope what this does is this um, sends you into the fabric of your current life right now and saying the ministries that you serve in in church, the, the, the things that you do at work, the, your home life, your personal life um, with, when nobody's around. I hope it revolutionizes those things to a certain degree to say, am I tapping into the things that I know God has created me to do and to be? We shouldn't just be filling space or be doing nice things that are just, hey, that's such a great thing to do. But what did God create you for? Because as we find those things that literally, you know, start to, to strum the, 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 the passion beats of our heart is when we lock into those things is when that real fruit is going to be seen, is when God's kingdom really starts to move forward. But if we get stuck into um, no life, it's probably, it's, it's the simplest thing. We're talking about finding the life of God. The life of God, I'm going to suggest, is found in those things that make you come alive and what you were created to do. And uh, you all know the term WWJD? What would Jesus do? Typically, what's the understanding when folks would use that, that you know, that, that four-letter thing? It's, hey, well, Jesus would be nicer here. You know, WWJD, don't hit me, you know? WWJD, be a really good person. I want to help maybe suggest a different way to think about WWJD. What would Jesus do? Jesus, well, he was a moral savant because he's part of the Trinity, the Godhead, that he, he did no wrong. He was the best there ever was. He was, the, he was the nicest. He was the most joyful. We can't ever attain that. Well, we should always be seeking to imitate Christ in his character. We should also be seeking to imitate Christ in his mission. And his mission was he came down, he ushered in a kingdom, and he broke the, the curse of death. And what would Jesus do? Jesus wasn't trying to be a really nice person. He was locked into the purposes of what God had for him here on this place to usher in that new kingdom. We are partakers of that continuance of what he's brought here on the kingdom to continue moving forward his kingdom. What would Jesus do is not to be nice and to be really loving, although that's a huge part of it. What would Jesus do is he was on a mission to usher in the kingdom of God, and we're still on that mission today as we continue moving forward the things of the kingdom of God, and we can only tap into that if we're disciples who are so locked into the thing that God created you to do as part of the expression of that kingdom. Amen? I'm preaching myself happy here. Um, he wants us to find our identity in him. He wants us to seek out that which he created for us to do and to be training in those things so that we can be effective expressors of his kingdom. I'm going to be wrapping up soon, I promise. I have a, a quick story to share. Um, so the, I'll give you the point first. So the last point that we have is the proclamation of Jesus in your everyday life makes disciples. The proclamation of Jesus in your everyday life makes disciples. Um, so my favorite story is around my boys, right? Um, Archer absolutely hates the doctor office. I mean, if you think of things that you hate, Archer hates the doctor more than you hate those things. He would scream and cry. He hates it so much, he doesn't even want them to take his, like, they're not touching him. They're just measuring how tall he is, and he just loses the plot and freaks out. Um, we, had, we went through a number of doctors until we found a doctor that could abs- kind of manage him, and, and she's wonderful. Her name's Dr. Jessica down at Silverstream. And uh, we really, you know, if Dr. Jessica ever hears this, like, thank you, Dr. Jessica. You're wonderful. Um, but Archer absolutely hated the doctor. I mean, so much so. There's, he couldn't stand it. It was always a nightmare when we had to take him. And you all know that the, we, most of my family was sick recently, and we all ended up having to go to the doctor. We did a three-in-one appointment, myself, Archer, and Bennett. And so we went in, and Archer was just like, 
we, <laughs> you know, this isn't good, but don't lie to your kids. But we, we, we told him a half truth that Bennett was going to the doctor. We just forgot to tell him that he was also going to the doctor, you know. Um, so we went and it was Bennett's turn first with the doctor. And, sh- and he just sat there and he watched like a hawk everything that this doctor was doing with Bennett. So, you know, you, you check the ears and you check the, you pull up the shirt to check the, um, the, the heartbeat and, um, and look at the tongue and the tonsils and all that. Right. And so he, but it was so funny cause he was sitting on my lap and he was just quiet. He was just, you know, I've never seen him so quiet and still, he was just watching Bennett. And I, I thank the Lord for my Bennett because he was happy. He was just smiling. He was just, he made it this wonderful experience. And, uh, and Archer saw that and he said, okay. And so when he went through it, he was smiling, he was laughing so much so that when it came turn for dad, he's like, all right, dad. He said, ah, you know, he's teaching me how to do it. He's like, do it in your ear. He's lifting up my shirt. And you know, you need to check your heart. What I would like to suggest is, can we emulate my little nine month old baby Bennett that our role is to let the doctor, let Jesus have his way with us. Let us be vulnerable enough to do that in front of other people. And that the best way that we can make disciples or that we can show people the life of Jesus is to let the doctor have his way with us, to, to let him shape us and move us and check our tongue and check our whatever he needs to do. And, and as we're shaped into the life that he's wanting to bring us, And then as people are watching that, that's going to be the most effective way of making disciples. It's not going to be a time when you say, I just hope, I hope beyond hope that just a little opening comes up where I can kind of mention that I go to church and just, you know, there it is. I go to church. It's called CFUH. It's just down the road. And, you know, it's gone. And somebody's like, oh, and you're like, that was my opportunity for discipleship. It's gone. You know? What I would suggest is the most effective way of discipleship is to, to, to be vulnerable enough to let people see the transformation in you that happens when the doctor has his way with you. And then when they see that it is safe, when they see that there's life that's coming out of you, when they see those things, what are they going to do? They're going to say, I want some of that mesquite grilled steak. I'm going to go back to Pinnacle Peak. I want to see some people cutting off ties because that's a fun time. They're going to want more of his life. They're going to want more of his love, but they're going to see that by you being a Bennett, by you letting God, and Bennett wasn't trying to do anything. He was having a good time. You know, he's a little bit sick, but other than that, he was fine. But if we can let Jesus have his way with us, but it also has to be an open thing. So the proclamation of Jesus in your everyday life makes disciples. Being vulnerable in your everyday life and letting people see the transformation is going to make disciples. I just want, I have a couple more verses and then we'll wrap up here. Um, I, I love, uh, I'm going to just shift, shift gears here. I love the way that the angel of the Lord directs Peter and the apostles. And we're in Acts. And uh, they got thrown into prison. And then an angel of the Lord came along and busted them out of prison. I would be pretty excited if I saw an angel of the Lord come along and bust me out of prison. Oftentimes, Jesus has come and busted us out of prison. If it's prison of bitterness, if it's the prison of unforgiveness, if it's a prison from abuse, he set us all free from the curse of sin and the prison of what that is. And I love this verse here, and I hope you can carry this into your week. It's Acts 5.20. Reading from the ESV first, it says, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. 
all the words of this life. It doesn't go say, go tell them how jacked up they are. It doesn't say, go and condemn them for everything that they're doing. Go and tell them about this life. The NIV, I love what it says. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Go tell the people all about this new life. When we're looking at who we are, we are a people that are designed to be consumed with the life of Jesus and then go and share that life with those that we come into contact with in our everyday lives. Are we walking in that new life? Are we experiencing the journey of discipleship akin to this thing that is brimming with life? Are we able to talk about God like I'm able to talk about those mesquite-grilled beautiful steaks? And you guys are going to go to lunch right now, so it's a wonderful time to continue talking about that. But are you walking in the rest of our identity secure in Christ? As we're so connected to his life, the outflowing of his life in us is the greatest witness. It's the greatest testament more than anything else that we can contrive. Can we be focused on his life, tapping into his life, treating him like he's actually somebody that's sitting next to us rather than a distant God that we have to do these rules to catch up to him? He's so wanting to impart his life. He's so wanting you to seek for the things that he created you to do, the things that make you sing, the things that make you come alive. Can you, can you passionately seek him? Seek and you will find. Knock and the doors will be open. It's not a mystery. Now, he has mysteries that we'll never understand, but he's wanting to give you his life. Amen? Can we just pray? Can we pray? Bless you, Ben. Jesus, I thank you so much, Father. I thank you that, that you do call us to be walking in the fullness of who you created us to be. Father, I speak to those things that, that would have been inhibitors, Jesus, to those things. I don't, I don't know what they are, and they're different for each one of us. But Lord, I pray that you start breaking down the boundaries, breaking down the walls, breaking down the things that we can't even see that might be hindering us from walking in the fullness of what you created us to do and who you created us to be. Father, I pray that we could connect into the very fabric of your life. Jesus, I pray that we would be able to have where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus, I pray that we would be a people that are free to let the doctor have his way in us, Father. Lord, I pray that we give you now permission to have your way in us. Lord, we give you permission for us to be the canvas that folks can see us as we're on a journey of discipleship, finding out who we're created to be. Lord, I pray that you would speak that into us. Father, we bless your mighty name, knowing that you have every good thing for us. Lord, that in your presence there is truly fullness of joy. Lord, we bless your mighty, mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you.